what a week. Finally, some positive news out of Gaza. Let's hope the ceasefire is permanent. Uh, it is the middle of November, nearly the end of November. There was big news in business across the region. Angami and OSN Plus have merged, or, or have announced a merger. Uh, there's lots of detail of how that transaction will look like and takes place on uh, smashy websites, apps, social media. Another big media announcement was that NBC uh, much discussed and talked about potential listing on the stock market. They will go public in the next few months, probably early next year, uh, selling 10% of the business. Uh, their investment will be a lot about uh, you know, the future and content and less about dividends. Well, Angami and OSN will be to delist Angami. So one company you can buy shares in in media, another one you will no longer be able to, but you can still consume all their great content. Speaking of good content, I went to the premiere of Napoleon uh, at Roxy Cinemas this week in uh, Dubai Hills. It's long, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's probably not a classic, but uh, it is beautifully shot and amazing scenes, amazing costumes. And, and for any history buff out there, it's a good chronological story. I was also, also down in Abu Dhabi for the Emirati Labour Market Awards uh, with MOHRI, the Ministry of Human Resource uh, and Emiratization. Uh, great partners uh, of Love in Dubai and also a uh, good fit for Dubai Works because they're responsible and look after 7 million people in the labour force in the UAE. Uh, so really good uh, entity of the government there as well. Uh, we have a really good interview this week. Uh, it's part of a two-part series uh, that we'll have coming up for British companies entering into uh, the Dubai market. So first part is coming up now, but before we get to that, I just want to shout out how many things are happening in Dubai this weekend and, and we're part of. Uh, there's the Baseball United Showcase match in Dubai Sports City Cricket Stadium uh, today, Friday and tomorrow, Saturday. That's going to be an amazing event. Tickets, I think, are from as cheap as 79 dirhams and there's a full uh, American style baseball uh, village with entertainment, hot dogs, you name it. Uh, great weather, great time to check that out. And then down in Abu Dhabi, uh, it's all F1, go, go, go. Uh, Love in Abu Dhabi will be at present for after race concerts and for everything happening that night. We're also active by Active uh, in World Trade Center. Uh, that's happening tomorrow. And there's so much more going on as well. So enjoy the weekend, enjoy the conversation and speak to you next week. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. Today we have with us Erin Kaur. She is the CEO and founder of Buy Erin, a UK-based luxury hair and beard care brand known for its natural, vegan and sustainable products. Selling out its first batch of 250 luxury oil bottles uh, in just four hours and generating four million uh, pounds in three years. Uh, including in the Judges Choice Award for 2022. We'll ask Aram to explain what that is. Uh, so good good afternoon, good morning, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I feel very like pumped up from that intro. Uh, great, well thanks <laughs> for coming on. But you know, you, you're, uh, you're young, you're in Dubai, you've got a successful business. Uh, how did you get here? How did it start? So I've been coming back and forth to Dubai for the last three years. We now have a residency here. And I think Dubai is just such a good place for opportunities, networking. I don't think it's got that same vibe as London where it's like who you know. In Dubai, it's who you can get to know. And I really, really love that. Okay, amazing. Uh, so yeah, so how did Buy Aram start? So when I was eight years old, my mom died. And she was known for having very, very long, gorgeous, beautiful, healthy hair. 
And as a young girl, you look up to your mom, whatever she has is just like the pinnacle of beauty. So every weekend I would go to my grandma's house and I would sit there on her countertop, which by the way, I sat there with a bob because my dad would take me to the barbers to buzz cut my hair this short because he didn't know how to tie my hair. And we would sit and we would try all sorts of different recipes. Then when I was 14 years old, so after six years of different trying formulas, everything, we landed upon the magic oil that's inside my Biarum hair oil today. Fast forward 10 years, I'm now 23, 24. I want to start my own business. I've been fired from eight jobs in a row. God was trying to tell me I couldn't work for someone else. Have you been fired before? Kind of. I would count as being fired. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask about that, yeah. though. <laughs> Why did you get fired by eight times? Do you know what it is? It was different reasons every time. But I think the fundamental thing was I didn't agree with the rules that was in place because I didn't see them having like an ROI for the business or for myself. So I found it hard like to follow along. Your job or the company, your job didn't have contribution to the bottom line of the business, you mean? No, I think it did to some degree. I had a, like a wide variety of roles. I worked in nightclubs for six years. I worked as a consultant. But I think ultimately there were certain rules in, in place for each of these particular jobs that just didn't resonate with me. And I'm, it's just not my nature to follow the rules. So Had you studied something? Yeah, so I got a first class degree in business management from the University of Manchester. So you had discipline enough to go through the university, but yeah. not through a, a job. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> going back to the hair part, so can yeah. you just describe, okay, so you, long hair, but what was the what was the product that you needed? What was the problem? You can maintain your hair? Or? Yeah, I mean, it was really difficult. I was eight. I didn't have any aunties, didn't have any sisters, didn't have any cousins really who lived near me. So I was really struggling with looking after my hair. And when you feel like long hair is a symbol of beauty but you have short hair all you want to do as a little girl is grow your hair i wanted to look like my mummy so my grandma would sit down with me every weekend and we would try all sorts of different things to enable me to grow my hair and to have healthy hair like my mom did okay and uh okay fast forward then mm -hmm. uh you you were working you were still in the uk and then you decided to set this up. Yeah. What so year was that? That was December 2019. I launched. I was 24 years old. I probably had around like 100 and something K on Instagram. And I was in a hotel room with my friends. We were ready there to put the stickers on, tie the ribbons, everything. And we dropped 250 units, sold out in four hours, reinvested all those profits, got 500 units, sold out in two hours. Then from there, we launched globally a few months later and it's just, we've sold 89,000 units in the last three and a half years. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, okay, so going back again, the, the 100,000 followers on Instagram, did you yeah. think that you were sort of trying to be, a, uh, did you see an opportunity as a creator and that this was a, a way of monetizing your audience or was it that you wanted to launch a hair company? So it came to the point where, 2019 was a time of life. I don't know if you remember where everyone was like, this Instagram bubble is going to burst. You have to do something. You have to monetize it. And it wasn't necessarily just about monetizing it. Like that was a huge portion of it. But part of me felt that there's going to be it because my purpose has always been to be a role model to young girls who've grown up without a mother and sisters. There's going to be a lot of girls that can relate to that and a lot of girls that can't. But for those that can and that resonate with my story, I wanted to give them the grace of this product that they may not have had access to otherwise, like I didn't. I had to work for six years with my grandma to find this. Mm. So why not just put it in a bottle and give it to those girls that might need this? Yeah, and that's, that's what drives you. That's what, yeah. that's what the brand is. Uh, but go, going back to the question around, you know, was it 
hang on, I've, six, I've dropped something, and if it didn't succeed, if you didn't sell those 250 out, would you have tried another product or... Maybe, you, yeah. A, another product in this area. Maybe, and, but... And, and then did you call it by Aram at the time? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's quite funny because the ideation, the impetus for by Aram, it was always very natural. It was, I didn't have any other brand names. It was always going to be by Aram. Didn't think it was going to be any other color than black. I didn't think I would going to sell any other product than a hair oil to begin with. Now I have an entire line. So it was a very, very fluid process of ideation. However, the actual actioning of it, finding a manufacturer, finding the sticker producer, finding the factory, the fulfillment center, that was hard. I won't lie. That was hard. It took me from January of 2019 all the way through to December to actually launch one uh, year. How did you find those things then? Google. Yeah. And all, found them in all different parts of the world, different places? Yeah. I mean, one of the best pieces of advice that I actually got was from a manufacturer who rejected me. They said that my original order of 250 was too small for them. But she told me something that will always remain with me, which was to work backwards. So I think where you want your business to be, okay, you want it to be in Harrods, Harvey Nicks, Bloomies and then envisage what the steps are going to be to get there and work backwards from there. That has stayed with me. So I was happy for that rejection. And how did you end up with a manufacturer that worked? I mean, it was tough. I wanted to make sure, because at the end of the day, you want to make sure that all your contracts and everything is in place from the beginning. Because if you ever want to become B Corp status or if you want to exit or if you want to sell, blah, 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 you're going to need to look back through all those contracts. And I knew that because I was thinking long term. So I wanted to make sure that I was going with a UK-based manufacturer that was super important for me to reduce the travel and the air mileage, et cetera, but then also someone who was sustainable. So that's what the search category was on Google, which of course minimized it. But I really struggled. I ended up with like a very, very, very old school guy up in Scotland, and I don't think he really took me seriously. I think he was like, who's this little 20 year old girl on the phone that's telling me that she's popular on Instagram and she wants to sell oils? Like he didn't get it. And I remember going to my dad and I was like, dad, take the phone, talk to him. And then I was like, no, because if I do it for you, everyone's going to say that I did it for you from the beginning and you're not going to get the credit. So I had to do it. So uh, it was hard. <laughs> and what were you explaining to them? What sort of product? Were you, what was the brief? So I said it was a, I knew the formula, uh, eight pure oils. And that the oils is key, but it's the quantity of each oil because my hair and beard oil is known for being non-greasy. So it's absolutely perfect for this region if you're wearing underneath a head covering, whatever it might be, it's not gonna seep through the material. That came down to the quantity of each oils. We actually measure it down to the 0.03%. That is why that product is so magical. So I had the formula. I didn't need anyone to help me with that. I just needed someone who would mix it for me in a professional lab grade environment because we have a lot of people who just make things in their kitchen and that's entirely illegal, entirely unsafe. There's no COVID precautions. There's no safety precautions. There's no monitoring. So I wanted to make sure that I was doing it right, like I mentioned, from the beginning. And was this, a, was this something that you had used yourself before? So before you started the business, you had sourced a product similar to this? Yeah, so I was making it in the kitchen with my grandma, but that was for myself. That was for you. Yeah, and just me and her. So the 0.3%, 0.03% was of what type of oil is that? Yeah, so we have, I can list them, almond, almond argan, amla, castor, coconut, lavender, rosemary, and bergamot. 
Essential oils have to be at below 1% of a product legally. Otherwise, if they're in excess, it's going to cause an inflammatory effect. That's why I always say you cannot just make these at home and sell them to the mass public. Do whatever you want for yourself at home. That's completely fine. Put banana on your hair if that's what you want to do at home. But don't then sell that banana because you don't know what the stability is, what it's like when it travels, what it's like when it's exposed to heat, to light, blah, blah, blah. So we worked it out at home. And then when it came down to it, we made sure that it was lab made. Okay. And how does a guy in Scotland source all those ingredients i don't know that's his that's his thing that's his thing that's his thing <laughs> but there's some really great um really high quality oil manufacturers in the uk and what else makes up the 100 percent so th- this is pure oils but then of course across my entire range it's all 100 percent natural i dare you go to your local pharmacy or your local shop try and find me in liquid form a 100 percent natural shampoo or conditioner hmm. you can't Even my scalp scrub, we designed it specifically for this region. So it's 100% natural and it contains tiny little beads inside which dissolve the second that you go underwater. One of the biggest problems for people is that the beads get stuck in their hair, they get stuck in their scalp, it sits on it, it blocks the pores, it blocks your plug, bad for the barrier reefs. Ours dissolves the second it gets underwater because it's made of wood cellulose. So you have the benefit of having the scrubbing effect, physical agitation of the scalp, but then you also have the chemical AHAs and BHAs. Everyone's glazing over right now, I can tell. (laughs) We're going deep into the science, but this is what you need. In a place like Dubai, where it's notorious for the hard water, the hard water essentially latches onto the hair. Those minerals coat the hair strand, which means that moisture cannot access the hair. People's problem hair is that your hair is dirty and that it's dry. So what does a scrub do? It completely removes all the minerals. So that means that when you are doing things like using a shampoo and conditioner, it's actually getting onto the hair and it's getting onto the scalp. You need to have good soil in order for beautiful grass to grow. Your scalp is your soil and you need to look after that first. So how many products do you have a shampoo and a conditioner as well? Yeah, we have shampoo, conditioner, scrub. We have a halal hairbrush. I know everyone's thinking like, I can't eat a hairbrush. What does this mean? It means it's made of vegan ball bristles. A lot of people don't realize that those bristly kind of hard brushes, they're made from boar, which is a pig. So we have a halal hairbrush. We have a vegan silk hair wrap, which for those of you who are still using bath towels to wash your hair, okay, we need to change. If you're still using a microfiber towel to wash your hair, we need to change. We're leveling up to the vegan hair silk one. Vegan hair wrap. And then we have, um, oh my God, I've gone blank. What else do I have? The different sizes of the oils. Yeah, so we have eight SKUs in total. Okay, uh, I'm trying to keep up. There's a lot of information there. But uh, I'm just uh, fascinated with how quickly the range has grown as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, let's just rewind again a little bit on the, the brush part, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was going to ask about that. Because once you put, say, an oil in your hair, don't, isn't, isn't the brush important for the distribution of those oils? Definitely. So you can use it as well to distribute your natural oils throughout your hair. You can use it, of course, to style your hair. But something I think is amazing, and I kid you not, if I can sell you this brush right now and it's going to look like the most beautiful, black, clean brush. And I'm going to be so happy because in one week, you're going to send me a picture on Instagram and you're going to be like, Aram, this brush is filthy. How do I wash this? The brush that you're selling? Yeah, it's going to okay. be filthy. And okay. I'm going to be really happy. The dirtier, the better. Why? Because the dirtier the brush, the cleaner your hair. A lot of people don't realize that a huge reason why they're washing their hair as often is because they're not simply physically cleaning it in between. You can get a lot of different cotton stuck in your hair, dust, sand, especially in this region, sea salt in your hair, which means that you're having to wash it more and more often, which means you're drying it out. If you have a hairbrush that's going to help to remove it, I would rather the brush was dirty than your hair was dirty. We can clean the brush easily. 
do you, do, do you clean the brush? Or does the, how does the individual clean the brush? There's different ways you can message us on Instagram, leave a bit of micellar water on it, leave it upside down to soak off. That will absorb all of the grease, that will absorb all of the dust, the dead skin, and you simply scrape that off. Or if you want to go ham, you can use a bit of a shampoo and rub it and it would be the same process. Does the guy in Scotland make the brushes? No. Who makes the brushes? Someone else in the UK. Someone else in the UK. Yeah, so he's an oil done. guy. Sorry? <laughs> he's an oil guy. He's an oil yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah. You have a brush guy. The, the 10K you started with, was that an investment that you that was friends and family or did you receive funding? No, no, no. So that my business is entirely bootstrapped to date. I use my savings from working in a nightclub. Hmm. Really, I lived at home after I graduated, so there wasn't really any living costs for me. So I was just stacking. And the perfect opportunity for me to use that money that I had saved presented itself. I think one of the biggest barriers to young entrepreneurs, and I think especially women who are a bit more averse to risk, is the thought that to start a business, I'm going to need 20K capital up front. How do I do that? And you're faced with those barriers. But if you look at it, like it took me one year from January 2019 to December 2019 to actually start my business. I didn't have to give a lump sum of 10K to no one. I gave maybe 1K to the stickers, maybe 5K to produce the oil, maybe 3K to get the packaging, if you understand what I'm saying. And that was distributed across the year. So it's doable. So that was, they were, they were the main outlays, like the cost of setting up the business in the UK was relatively cheap. The website you probably sure. use, Shopify, yeah. dropshipping. Shopify, yeah. Okay. And it's pretty straightforward to do something like that in the yeah. UK. Yeah. I mean, I made my Shopify website. No one go back onto TimeHop and find what my original website looked like because I made that. <laughs> now we have a complete tech team, but yeah, I made it myself. And you know what it is? I'm not a very aesthetically driven person. So... As long as the website was functional and the grammar was there, I was good because people, all they needed to do was check out. Now it's a whole beast. We want to make sure that the user experience is there. We've got a hair type quiz. We've got a 24-7 concierge that can help you. These are things that come as a business. But one of the biggest blocks that people will find is that they're not, they're not ready. Oh, my God, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. No, but the other person across the world who just has a little bit more guts than you isn't ready either, but they're going to do it first. And you're going to be one of those people at a dinner table being like... I was the one that came up with Uber. I swear I was the one that came up with Deliveroo. Okay. Yeah. Where's your evidence? Why yeah, didn't well. you do it then? Come on. <laughs> yeah, that was my idea. Uh, brilliant. Uh, okay, cool. So fast forward a little bit. So you're kind of, you know, December 20, started January 2019, December 2019 into the pandemic. Yeah. And uh, you have your business you're selling. So that probably worked well during the pandemic, did it? Yeah, I think a lot of people have the association of looking after and self-care being something that you do in private in the home. However, because this oil was made to be non-greasy, it's something I have it in my hair all the time. I have it in the ends of my hair all the time. You can see my hair's not greasy. Um, but I think it really, really benefited when people were still in the stage where there was a little bit more education that was required around haircare. Skincare had its moment. Skincare had its moment. Makeup had its moment in 2015. Skincare had its moment around 2017. I'm hoping that we were moving then at that point into the era of haircare and scalp care. Mm. Okay. And so you kind of mentioned that you've been coming to Dubai for about three years. So just after it opened up after the mm. pandemic, we, you were coming here, you had Bayern set up. How did you enter the market? When did you sell something? Or were people ordering online from this region? Um, yeah, so we had, so Dubai's been our top five city uh, on our website for months and months and months. But I started to get my feet wet here. I won BC of the BC Influencer of the Middle East this year. So I think as the Erin profile raised, I think the Buy Erin profile has kind of been able to to tag on to that, which is great because we almost are one. Um, been working with a PR company out here, which has been really instrumental for me. So I think the elements have been in the right place. And like I said, Dubai is a 
city of networking and people are always very open to do that you know I know a guy don't worry I'll put you in touch with her okay no worries she knows him I'll get you in and I really really like that attitude and uh what did you get a you said you're a resident here did you get a business license then uh, at what point was that or my dad set up the logistics of everything, yeah. So he, he helped out with that. So what does that allow you to do? Are you, are you distributing your product uh, from the UK into stores here, or is it still sort of ordering online and into people's homes? Both. Okay. Yeah. And wh where, where is it available in, in Dubai? So we're available on Faces. Okay. And we're going to be launching soon on a few other ones. Okay, great. Beauty yeah. Tribe as well. Two-hour delivery on Beauty Tribe. Beauty Tribe, that's yeah. a new one. Yeah, yeah like e-commerce and all these, uh, there's so many, it's exploded here, hasn't it? Yeah. And just going back a little bit to this region, like you mentioned halal as well, and, you know, and that, you know, people would wonder if, if hair care is as important as if you're covered in that, but it, for the protection and for the natural, uh, you know, w wearing a garment on your hair actually damages your hair, doesn't it? So you need to you need to look after your hair. It can it can protect you in many ways. Mm. Um, it's good for your hair in terms of redu reducing the sun damage. But yeah, you know, at the end of the day, if we're putting anything on our hair, be it a hat, uh, a turban. Um, a headscarf is going to be pushing the roots down. Your roots kind of want to go up like this and down, whereas this is pushing them this way. What this means is that, as speaking as a trichologist in training, you're going to be getting a little bit of buildup of a bit of sebum, bit of sweat, probably a bit of cotton fibers stuck there. What do you need to do in order to properly clean your hair? You need to agitate it, and that's where the scalp scrub comes into it. Mm, okay, cool. And what's the sort of uh, what's the routine that you'd recommend for your hair care? So everyone's different. I think me and you would probably differ in terms of our hair care routine. But realistically, I think you should be oiling your hair twice a week. That is fundamental. And if you can put it, if you have really long hair like me, put it in the ends of your hair because a lot of people these days confuse hair loss with hair breakage. Hair breakage is when the hair breaks because it's dry and it's brittle. In order to prevent against that, you need to make sure that you have supple, moisturized hair. You get that through oiling your hair. I would recommend washing your hair as many times as you need to, but if you can, extend the length of days between each wash with a hairbrush and a once a week scrub. The scrub is like an MOT service for your scalp. That's MOT. not going to be an, yeah. MOT? What is that? You know when you go to the garage and they do your car okay. and they check the oil and everything? Okay. It's like a big, it's like a spring clean. Got it. Spring clean for your scalp. Okay. So you're going to want to do this maybe once a week, not every single time. Okay, fair enough. Interesting. Is there anything else you'd share around hair care? Like uh, you, you mentioned this is unisex as well. Mm. Guys can use it for their beards. Yes. So how would they go about that? Mm -hmm. So I would do one pump, depending upon the length of your hair. Of course, if you have a very, very long beard, maybe two. One pump is going to help to give it that shine and that hold and that shape. And especially if you're doing it every day and massaging the growth in a particular di direction, you're going to be able to get rid of that curliness that might go upwards and kind of force it into maybe a bit more of a straight point. Mm -hmm. One of my members of staff, he was using Bayern before he met me and he joined my team. And he has developed over time the most perfect beard. But listen, beauty is a long-term investment. Mm. We need to make sure that we're do putting the work in now in order to thank ourselves in a month, a year's time. Interesting. I mean, you mentioned uh, a colleague. So how did your team grow? Uh, how did you make decisions around that as well? And what's the size of the team now? What do they do? Mm. So we have seven members of staff, and then we also have like different agencies that we work with, like graphic, tech, whoever. I'm very much someone who has a high degree of self-awareness and I know what I'm good at and I know all the things I'm bad at. There are a lot of things I'm bad at. 
very bad at customer service, very bad at like having the discipline to post every single day for Bayer and writing the emails, blah, blah, blah. So I made sure to outsource the things that I was bad at and maintain a high level degree of control when it comes to the final level of improvement, approval. However, I think, you know, I'm 28. You know, this is the time of my life to hustle. This is the time of my life to work really, really hard. And I think my team can see that I'm fully dedicated to whatever they're doing. So seven people, each of them doing the things that I'm really, really bad at because they're all amazing at it. And what do you focus on? So for me, I think a huge part of it is branding and the positioning of us, especially right now as I'm developing more in the region. I want to make sure that we're being positioned as like affordable luxury, very much born and bred London brand, but also something that is attainable and understandable to the whole world. I think this really comes through in the tone of voice that I make sure is consistent across our website, our marketing, our Instagram, to ensure that we're approachable. Like I said, we've got 24-7 hair concierge in the DMs. I want people to ask me, even if it's not about Bayarim, listen, I've had a baby, my hair's falling out, what is this called, what does this do? I've invested a lot of time into becoming a trichologist, so right now I'm in the middle of my degree, and I want to What's a trichologist? Hair and scalp. Okay. I want to make sure that I'm giving back to my community and the knowledge that I now have. Okay, cool. And so 24-7, so is that AI assisted or do you have rotation with seven people? It's hard to cover 24-7. Yeah. I mean, we have one person in the DMs. Maybe she's going to take a few hours to respond because she's yeah. sleeping, but she is available and contactable 24-7. Yeah, uh, so you're, you're open to that as well. And in terms of structuring the business, uh, are, are you nine to six? Do you have work from home? Like, what's your view on that? Yeah, so all my staff are remote. I mean, they kind of have to work around whichever time zone I'm in, which is tend to be Dubai, so like a three, four hour difference. Uh, but we make it work. We have monthly town halls. We have weekly catch-ups with the marketing team. And we're very, very agile. Yeah, yeah. it's a good one. Pla- it's, a good, it's a good place to be in the way that we work. I like it. Uh, and uh, so 89,000 units sold, is that sort of repeat business or do, do people, do you have a type of subscription service or do people come back or how do you view that? Yeah, so industry average retention rate for the beauty is 23%. Ours is 72% or 67, don't quote me guys, 67 or 72, I can't remember, something with a seven. Mm. This is huge. We invest so much and we do have a subscription service. We have so many add-ons. We have an app which gives you daily app formations in the morning, which is a positive message for you to receive. We really give back as much as we can to our community to make sure that they are giving back to us. And it's a rotation and it's a circle. So you, you have these people, you've been going four years, it's all from profits. You have the app, you have the website, mm. you've expanded to another market. You, you know, how, how have you done that? Like how, what have you not done? Like, what have you had to sort of skimp on costs or, mm. uh, you know, it sounds like you've been quite, uh, with all the different things that you've launched already, it, without investment, mm. it sounds like a lot, no? I've been lucky. Um, at the end of the day, I'm an influencer. Right now, I've got probably a total of 700K. And I have to be very, very, very grateful with the people that collaborate with me. So um, Digiru, D-I-G-I-R-U-U, helped to create our app. We have an AI filter, Mozzarini Studio helped to create that. So I've worked with some amazing people because they're working with me. I'm promoting them. They're getting more clients. So I've leveraged that a little bit with regards to my brand. And I built such amazing long-term relationships that I will never stop talking about because they deserve all the flowers that they can have. But this has been a huge benefit. And I think, to be honest with you, a very high degree of luck and a very high degree of God's grace. Yeah, it seems like that you, you're you good at building relationships because I think a lot of uh, 
independent creators and independent media owners talk about partnerships. They mm -hmm. talk about sort of long-term relationships. It's, it's that sort of original thing that influencers used to say, I'll only partner with something I, I can really endorse. But, yeah. but it goes further than that. It's kind of like, well, if it's a long-term partnership, then they're getting more value out of me promoting. Yeah. You know, you've just, you've just name-dropped those two companies mm -hmm. there now, and that's you feel comfortable doing that because it, you know it's a long-term partnership that you have with them as well. Definitely, definitely. Even with the brand sponsors that I work with, I've been the Pandora ambassador in the UK for the last three years. They've never renewed someone twice mm. in the way that they did so for me, but it's because I, I just stan Pandora. Kiss nails, I wear them all the time. I'm ambassadors for both of these brands and people see Kiss, they think of me. People see Pandora store, they're like, Ariam, I went in and I checked your bracelet. I think that is where the credibility and the authenticity comes as an influencer, but then of course, I'm an influencer that has my own brand. The authenticity that I have as Aram is the authenticity I have for By Aram. Both of them correlate. Um, and so say uh, there's a four million figure here in three years. Is that annual revenue or total? Total. For the, for the hair care products. Yeah. Uh, and what about for your brand, for your influencer business? What sort of revenue do you make from that? Secret. It's a secret. <laughs> I honestly wouldn't know. My manager is in charge of all of those things. And it, yeah. but, but you use those funds for the overall brand? No, they're two separate businesses. Separate businesses yeah. with different ownership? or No, me owning them, but two separate businesses. Business they don't licenses, need to, different yeah. P&Ls, yeah, 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 different yeah. bank accounts, different audits, everything. Completely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Aram doesn't fund by Aram. By Aram funds by Aram. Mm. Yeah, and you do, but but see, this is a kind of interesting thing because there's personal brand and then there's revenue you make you make by a product, and it's one individual. Mm. Uh, so, do you find that you have to make a choice sometimes that you promote yourself? Mm. Uh, I always think of Gary Vaynerchuk when I think of this because he sells books, mm. he gets speaker gigs, uh, he travels around the world, and he can charge hundreds of thousand dollars. Yet he has an agency you know, in seven offices with 700 people or whatever. And it's kind of like, well, which one are you promoting today? Is mm -hmm. it like, is it me or is it the, the business, you know? I mean, I think you have to make decisions as an individual that are congruent with what you're promoting as a business. So for instance, I would never be able to take on a hair care collaboration. I would never be able to buy the shampoo because it just wouldn't make sense. But Aram as a personality, as a, as a human being, like, of course, I'm, I'm wearing... Um, a classy YM a buyers today. I'm wearing Pandora jewelry tomorrow. That doesn't mean I own those brands, but they are not in competition with my own. Okay, yeah. And sort of, sort of um, where, where does that leave sort of Bayern in the future? You know, it's seven people. It's it's this amount of revenue so far. Uh, do you think? I guess the way I'm trying to get at this is like a lot of content creators have products, and uh, but they don't necessarily build their own manufacturing. They don't build factories. Mm. They don't, you know, you think of local Paul and KSI mm. with Prime and things like that, or Kylie Jenner and her team is, you know, I read once it was four people, yet they've got all these different partnerships. Is that the prototype that you're doing? Like you, you have your, your Ola guy, you have your hair guy, you have your uh, app team. Like, is that the model of the future now for what you're doing? I think so, yeah. I think you have to acknowledge when there's an already established, like a fulfillment center. They know what they're doing. They've got the systems in place. Plug into that. Not everything needs to be in your 100% control. Could it be more cost effective? Could it be leaner? Could it be a higher degree of control that you have? Yes, but is that possible? Do you have space to fulfill all your products? Do you have space to store all your products and the pallets and the this and the that and the infrastructure in terms of technology that's required to do so? Because not just a label printing machine. In Black Friday, you need like 100 label printing machines. You know what I mean? Sometimes those things are best to just be left outsourced. Hmm. Black Friday is coming up. Yeah. 
It's today. It's I'm launching my sale today at 10 p.m. I have anxiety. <laughs> and what? Tell us about it. So 20th to the 27th, you buy one product, you get the second one for 50% off. If you purchase an, this is all in pounds. If you purchase something over 50 pounds, you're going to get a hairbrush for free. Then if you make an order over 100, not only are you getting the brush, but you also get your choice of a shampoo or conditioner for free as well. How do you come up with, do you do the marketing? How do you come up with those offers? Do you, how do you know that's going to work? Right. So we look back at our previous years. I like to look ret retrospectively to what worked. Of course, it's a different climate now. We've got cost of living. We also have to look at the ex like extension of the team, what works in terms of the technology on the website. What do our app plugins work? Is that making sense with the online site? Is it easy to understand? You know, people in Black Friday, it's a frenzy. They like type their address wrong and everything. Like last thing I want to do is like really overcomplicate it for everyone. So it's also a matter of guesswork. Hmm. I've never done an offer this big before. Let's see how people respond to it. Uh, what have you done in the past? Like, why is this bigger? Why do you think you need to do a bigger Black Friday offer this year? I just felt like it. You just felt like it. Yeah, I thought try it. And you're ready maybe. You've, you've got the team that can handle lots of Yeah, orders. I think last year we did 20% off. That was a flat 20% off. And then I think you got a free hairbrush, something like that. But this is like a buy one, get one 50% off. So this is a kind of different structure of an offer. It's about trying things. Like I said, I'm 28. Like I'm okay to try something and it maybe doesn't work or maybe there's a bug on the site. But you know, even like our emails go out, there might be a spelling error in there. Like it's a 25 year old girl that's writing these marketing emails. It's me who's approving it. Like, I might be just sat in traffic. Like this is a reality of being an entrepreneur and this is the reality of not being a perfectionist because perfectionism can get in your way and it can prevent you from sending the email at all. And if you don't send that email, you're making zero pounds. You might as well send it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's really good. It, won't, it wouldn't cut in like L'Oreal and places like that, but it's, it's, why, yeah. it's why people can get successful, right? You, can, you have to move. You know, if it doesn't ship, it doesn't exist. You have to yeah. get it out there. I think there's a degree of humility that you need to have as a small business. And especially for me, having all of these followers, the way I look at it is that like, you know, on Instagram, I've got like 360 or something. That's 360,000 stakeholders in my brand because they'll be the ones to tell me, oh, babe, there was, a, there was a spelling error there. That's something that your maybe investor would tell you. Do you know what I mean? Or an advisor or a mentor would tell you, but I'm so blessed that I get to have them telling me before I kind of like face the rest of the world and Byron goes global and we're a billion, billion pound company. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you can kind of, you know, if someone says, calls you out on something, you can... It, it makes you more relatable that you can kind of admit to it and, you know, go on stories or kind of make a comment and say thanks or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It comes back down to humility. Like we're all human. Mm. We, we maybe don't all know how to spell every single word and that's okay. They yeah. know what we meant, you know? And your last comment there about like how big you want, you think you can get it. Like, is, is that something that drives you? Is it about having a huge brand? Like, you know, think of what's that famous lady, Joe Malone in the UK, and then mm. she lost her name. And, and, and then and Joe loves like now, yeah. Yeah, like, do you, do you, I was thinking about that earlier when you when you had the two businesses, like, could, say, L'Oreal or our big holding group mm. uh, buy by RM because it, it could be attractive to them, and then you're separate and you're, you're doing your own brand thing? Or do you think, hey, I want to be, I want to continue to be a CEO founder, I want to have... Uh, all the pressures that go along with that hiring marketing mm. expansion is that something that you're 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 gearing yourself up for i think i can take it as far as i can take it and if someone thinks that they can take it further and they've got the skills and the resources for it like i'm not i'm emotionally attached to this brand but this is not my baby 
this is not a human being. This is not something that's sentient. This is a product and a brand that makes money. And as much as I love this brand and I stand by the product and the story behind it, I can't have that degree of attachment to it. And I think that's where entrepreneurs go wrong. They look at it like it's their baby. And it's just like, well, you can't let go of it, even though that's a better business decision, should it be the case. Mm. You've, you've uh, I was gonna swear, you've uh, lost an opportunity. <laughs> it's okay, don't worry, you didn't, good discipline. But uh, you've lost an opportunity, but mm. you know, I think how you described that actually, to me, coming, mm. uh, listening to you, uh, someone in their 20s say something like that, makes me think that that's the exact sort of mentality that is needed to make the right decision. Mm not to know when to sell, but actually to know how to continue to keep running it. Mm. Because uh, y you need to treat it, you need to feel like you're an employee and you need to be that type of person running it, you know? Uh, going back on, on that as well, in terms of, it's obviously, you know, you, you're in this region, you know how people, investors in this region know the size of the opportunity, the TAM for, for beauty products. All the big brands are here. Luxury market across the Gulf, particularly, is massive. Mm. Uh, you, you mentioned you had a meeting with Faces. Like the the holding groups here who've been involved in these products and yeah. brands uh, know it inside out, know yeah. it really well. How do, uh, you know? First of all, you must be attractive to them because they're because they know the size of opportunity. Mm. Uh, but then also, uh, you must. Oh, I wonder. Do you think that it's difficult to crack into the space? Hugely. Hugely. There's so much potential for Bayarum, but if, if Bayarum relies very much on education, because we approach haircare in a different way, each one of our products has won awards, especially the scalp scrub for innovation. So that's me kind of bringing them something new, a different concept. People like safe, people like guaranteed investments, they like low risk. And not to say that Byron is a risk, but bringing new products onto the market. And hair oil is 3,000 years old. I've not done anything new there. I've just changed the way that it's made. Bringing something new completely to the market, like the scallop scrub in the way that it is, people might not want to take that risk. But I believe, because of my retention rate, if I put this product in your hand today, Richard, like this product will stay in your hand and you'll buy another one and another one and another one. And I know that. But I just need people to take that first risk to do so. But it's just a bit, you know, they're like very old school companies, right? The big, big, big brands. Mm. They're not as pro-risk as, as we might want them to be. And is your, so do you need the big distribution companies, the ones with the chains and the stories? Do, do you need your suppliers in the region and your business strategy in the region to be more B2B rather than direct to consumer as I assume mm. that you've grown it so mm. far? So we're masters in the D2C world. We really are so close. It's a very intimate relationship we have with our customers. There's a lot of constant feedback loop that we get. Uh, we respond to every single review that we get on Trustpilot, on Google reviews, even on the app store. We respond to every single review because we really care. We've mastered that. We know how to do that. I think that it's such a good opportunity for a brand if they're able to have the backing to say, oh, we're on faces, which we are. That opens a lot more doors for me when it comes to speaking to other retailers because we've got that stamp of approval with the likes of faces and then they're able to kind of reduce the risk. Mm. And uh, so, you know, like Huda Beauty is well mm. known here, Huda Katan, Mona Katan, and what they've done, it, it, it's sort of, uh, they, they are education, it's about makeup, yep. and you always feel like you're buying direct, yet distribution and Sephora is also massively important to mm. them, but they kind of retain their own relationship with their customers. Is that sort of something that you look up to as well? I mean, they smashed it. So yeah, if I could have like a semblance of what they've managed to achieve here in this region, I would be over the moon. 
and you know, do you see yourself like it's very much a British company so mm -hmm. far? Uh, could it be more of a Middle Eastern company in the future? Um, I would say like our products are very much like aligned with the needs of the Middle Eastern consumer. But I very, you know, both my parents were born in London. I'm a London girl as well. Like I could never step away from my roots. And I think that's me probably interjecting myself into the brand story of Bayerum. Um, but that, I, I would always be a London brand. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. I, I mean, London brands, uh, culture kind of spreads in different ways, doesn't Definitely. it? Definitely. And it's good, to, it's good to know what the brand is, I guess. But, uh, but you obviously see the opportunity in this region. Yeah. And I also really like Dubai. Like, if I didn't like Dubai, I don't think I would have, like, put as much energy into coming here on, and pushing the brand here as well. And is, so Dubai is in the top five of your cities, but yeah. what about the other cities in the region? Where do you get customers from? Randomly Jeddah. I didn't really think about that. And Doha as well. I think they have a very, very high spend of beauty um, in terms of the percentage of their monthly salary. I think I heard that Q8 is 40%. I think Shell Hoop Group told me that, and I was like... Okay, we need to like work in QA or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've heard that before. Uh, there was there was a, a girl from Wales who had right. Olay Olay hair. Okay, uh, and she she was doing something similar to you. She had curly hair, and uh, she's on this podcast before. And then her customers were from Kuwait, and mm -hmm. then and then that. So uh, and it was actually people with salons that started buying her products. Okay, do you sell into salons or? We'd like to. Um, I think a lot of salons are affiliated very heavily with certain professional brands. Ours is not a professional hair care product in the sense that it's not only to be used by hair salons. Um, so I would like to affiliate myself more with like spas, um, especially like high-end luxury spas as an add-on treatment. If you want to add on a 15-minute Indian head massage, you can do that. If you want to add on a detox scalp at a hair salon, you can do that. But more so as a holistic treatment than like a professional grade keratin mask, da, 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 da. that okay. makes sense? Barely for me, but, <laughs> but, but I'm not along. Yeah, like, yeah. But, but have, you, have you approached some spas in Dubai and UAE? I'm still kind of getting my feet wet with the retailers. Um, I think the conversations that you'll have with spas and salons are going to be very, very, very like much less contract and quantity and percentage and commission, everything driven, because it's often like you'll be speaking to the owner of the salon. Hmm. So it will be like a one-off situation unless you get into a chain, but I haven't started that. Okay. And so there's, there's work still to do. Always. Always. <laughs> what about uh, investors? What sort of people have approached you? Um, it's been a variety. I think a lot of the time it's been from within the South Asian community because they're familiar with Bayer and they've seen the success of it as well. Yeah. South Asian? South Asian community, yeah. In the UK or globally? Uh, I've had it in the UK and Dubai. Okay. Yeah. I, so I was trying to think that, are you getting customers from South Asia directly or is it as well? Um, by South Asian, I'm talking about myself. So it could be British Asian. Yeah. Yeah. But hailing from the South of Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Just wondering distribution. But uh, so, uh, so that's the type of investors. And do they say, hey... Uh, I want to, you know, are you taking investment? I've got a few hundred grand or whatever. I want to put it into you. Or is it more institutional investors that sort of are looking to be strategic partners? I think it's been a bit of both. Um, there's been a few cowboys, of course, which I'm not necessarily like I'm not closed off to the idea of it. But I think it has to be someone that I think has knowledge in this industry and can also guide me. Because like I said, there's only so far that I know how to take it. I can learn every single day and I can listen to podcasts like Dubai Works and develop my knowledge. But I would like someone that's smarter than me um, and can actually provide me with advice, not just money, because hmm. that's not just what I need.
Mm. Uh, so, you, so you haven't taken like a friend or a family, you haven't taken any small investments? No, we're entirely bootstrapped today. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Uh, so potentially, you know, do you have a, a deck? Do you have a presentation? If some people are listening and they like the beauty space in the region yeah. and they approached you, would you be open for meetings and conversations? Maybe, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> other than finishing up now, other than liking uh, Dubai, what's your yeah. view on the region? Like the region even now has instability in it. There's terrible things happening. Uh, w what sort of gives you hope that this region can emerge and can be, as some people have said, the, the new Europe? Mm. I think there are some amazing minds here. And I think if we can collectively put all of our biggest skills together in a place that enables you to do so like Dubai I feel like with that intentionality there will be so much of the world's problems that we could fix but that requires us to show up to the table and be fully committed to finding the solutions that the world needs cool well, it's been a pleasure listening to you this morning Thank um, you. And I'll be checking out by Aaron when my beard grows next time uh, thanks for joining us Thank and you for best having of luck in the future I enjoyed that conversation, learned a lot, and it's fascinating the overlap between creators and uh, digital native vertical uh, brands as well and selling online. Uh, so well done to Erin. Uh, she's doing amazing with her brand and good luck to her on the Black Friday sale. I hope it's going well, taking place uh, over today and over the last few days as well. Uh, thank you as usual to our producers. Hamid Hesham and Ali Khalil who put this show together. It gets distributed in many ways. You might be listening to it on audio at the moment, Angami, Apple, Spotify, Podio. It also goes out on the Smashy apps, everywhere the Smashy app is, mobile, uh, smart TV, and on uh, the web, you can go to smashy.tv. Uh, and then you can see it on Love in Dubai. You can also see it on Smashy Business Instagram. There's one more thing that's happening this weekend is on Smashy Sports, we're streaming the MENA Cup, which is a youth tournament that takes place every year. There's qualifiers at the moment uh, in Jebel Ali and uh, for the youth team, so under 12s, under 14s, under 16s, I think there's about 130 games, 135 games taking place this weekend. And it's a build up to many of the famous clubs from around the world, they'll all be in Dubai next March with their youth teams, February and March. So, uh, you know, if you're into or if your kids play uh, football, soccer, go down there and check it out. Uh, it could be quite inspiring uh, and get involved with some of the academies and the youth teams. You'll be able to watch all that on Smashy this weekend. Uh, we'll be back next week at 11 o'clock. This was a Smashy uh, business production as part of the Gus Media Podcast Network.